A reading from the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verse 17, through chapter 4, verse 1. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you stand as we pray together this psalm? Some of you may sit for psalms in other churches you've been. That's because we sit for psalms when we are hearing it or reading it as learning scripture. But psalms were also sung. So we stand because even though we're saying it, we're really singing it together. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom then shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom then shall I be afraid? Though a host were encamped against me, yet my heart would not be afraid. And though war rose up against me, yet would I put my trust in him. To behold the fair beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. And now he shall lift up my head above my enemies round about me. Hearken to my voice, O Lord, when I cry unto you. Have mercy upon me and hear me. O hide not your face from me, nor cast your servant away in displeasure. When my mother and my, when my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord takes me in. Deliver me not over to the will of my adversaries, for there are false witnesses who have risen up against me, and those who speak wrong. 
Oh, wait for the Lord. Be strong, and he shall comfort your heart. Oh, put your trust in the Lord. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. very hour, some Pharisees came to him and said, get away from here for Herod wants to kill you. And Jesus said to them, go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Let us pray. As we wait on you, come, Lord Jesus, fill this place. Spirit of the living God, fill our hearts. Let your word be a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path, and a strength unto our lives. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The word that I feel the Lord has put on my heart for today is from Psalm 27, and it's the title of my message today is, While You Wait. While You Wait. The last couple of weeks has, can be described as dark days, especially for people in Ukraine and the neighboring countries. Every day of the news cycle seems to spell worse doom. The ripple effects of that war are being felt across the world. And for people in Ukraine and that part of the world and many other countries in the midst of war, fighting or disruption, darkness engulfs them, both in real life and figuratively. We see the world becoming more and more fragile and more people facing danger. Seeing the images of war on TV reminds me of my own childhood in Uganda during the 1979 Liberation War when soldiers from Tanzania, the neighboring country, came to rescue us from a brutal dictator. I was nine years old, and the vicarage, uh, my father was the provost of a cathedral that was right at the heart of the city, and the neighbor to the cathedral was the president's state house. And we, the vicarage of the church was next to the house or the residence of the vice president. And you know, those places had lots of soldiers, so they were targets for the war. And we had bombs flying all over our heads. And you know, power is out and all sorts of things. And when we had electricity, we could not switch it on because we were afraid that they would know we were in the house and they would come to kill us. Those were dark days for me. I was engulfed with fear. 
But we all go through seasons like that, maybe less dramatic than what we see or the wars that we have, but we have our own seasons when we go through dark moments, when we're in the valley. Sometimes it's the valley of the shadow of death that engulfs us. Sometimes that darkness is in our innermost being. Some call it the winter of the soul. It's cold and it's dark and it's oftentimes quite lonely. Even Jesus was not exempt from this. We know what happened uh, in Matthew 6, 23. He says, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. And he says to his disciples, come and watch with me. Come and wait with me and watch with me. And they slept. They slept on him. I'm sure you can point to some moments, and it's not probably a war, a physical war, but another overwhelming challenge that has made you have this season of waiting on the Lord, and it seems to take a while before he comes through. The devil likes to use those moments in our lives to create fear and anxiety and worry and panic. And fear is one of the biggest weapons the enemy uses because it paralyzes us. When we're scared, we, we tend to do things that we wouldn't normally do. You don't think right. When the enemy introduces fear in your heart, he wants you to doubt yourself, to doubt your faith, to doubt your God. He will taunt you and ask, where is your God now? Fear will cause you to do irrational things. I sometimes think the opposite of faith is not doubt, but it's fear. That's why time and again, Jesus says, fear not. Do not be afraid. Jesus does not want us to live in fear, but he wants us to live in faith, trusting that he's able to take care of us and that he's able to do whatever concerns us to keep us in him. David, the author of Psalm 27, and many other Psalms, experienced several dark moments. And one such account that I can relate to is in 1 Samuel chapter 30, when David and his men came to Ziklag, and they found that it had been burnt down, the whole city had been raised down, and they had taken all the people captive, including his two wives. And we read that David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. Have you ever wept until you don't have any more strength to weep? And David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But the next sentence is one that really, really encourages me because it says, but David strengthened or David encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. It doesn't just stop at the Lord, his God. It emphasizes David encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. David acknowledged that sometimes you won't have cheerleaders and the only option left to you is to encourage or strengthen yourself in the Lord. You have got to do it yourself. We have become so dependent sometimes. We go to church, we're looking for a word, we're looking for a source of encouragement from a friend, from a spouse, from a child, and sometimes we won't get it. But David is here telling us, well, if you don't get it, just encourage yourself in the Lord. You can do it for yourself when no one is there to do it for you. And that's what he does in Psalm 27, which is one of my favorite Psalms. 
I actually tried to get a license plate of Psalm 27, but it was already taken. And that's how much I find encouragement in this psalm. As we get into what this psalm teaches us, I want to start from the end in verse 14, where it says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. He says, wait for the Lord twice for emphasis. Wait for the Lord. What does it mean to wait for the Lord? To be honest, most of us hate waiting. At least I know I hate waiting. And David was no stranger to waiting. When he was anointed king, it was another 15 years of waiting before he took the throne. I'm sure that if you're like me, sometimes when you're in a really big rush to get somewhere and a red light comes on, a red traffic light, it, you feel like it's taking forever to turn green. You feel that it's unusually taking long, yet it knows you're in a hurry. And when you're waiting to gas up your car, especially now when the prices are going up and people are lining up for gas, it almost feels like time has stopped. Waiting is harder when you're in trouble. A minute can seem like a very long time. Someone once joked that the length of a minute depends on which side of the bathroom door you're on. Waiting on the Lord is a difficult thing in this instant-prone world. It's exemplified in this prayer where someone says, Lord, give me patience, and I want it now. How ironic. It's hard to wait when we're in trouble, or when we're faced with danger, or when we're scared. Yet the Bible tells us to wait for the Lord. And it takes strength and courage to wait for the Lord. It's not for the faint-hearted. Waiting for the Lord has become one of the hardest Christian disciplines. Waiting for the Lord is what will mature us. It is a testing of our faith because it requires us to trust God without borders. You hear of doctors without borders? Well, this is trusting God without any borders. Waiting for the Lord is ultimately a call to surrender your will to his no, to His knowing that he, he is in full control. It's the assurance that strengthen your, strengthens your heart and turns your weakness into strength and your misery into a miracle. But what do you do when all hell around you is breaking loose and God says, wait? Psalm 27 gives us great insights on what to do when we're in that season of waiting, that cold, dark season when nothing seems to be working the way we want it to work. And the first lesson is found in the first two verses. We need to take the focus away from us and our situation and instead focus on the Lord and declare the truth of his word as a testimony of his faithfulness. David declares in the first two verses that the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear, he asks himself rhetorically. Whom shall I fear? In other words, I shouldn't fear anything. The Lord is the stronghold or the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? David starts with acknowledging the lordship of God. And when we're in trouble, we need to do that. Even when we're not in trouble, we need to acknowledge the lordship of God. Right now at Truro, we need to acknowledge the lordship of God. God is in charge here at Truro. 
It's not me, it's not Mary, it's not Jim. It's God who is in charge of this church. We need to acknowledge the lordship of God and remove the focus from how we feel. So David declares the Lord is. This is the same way he starts Psalm 23. He acknowledges that the great I am, the Lord is. Hebrews 11:6 puts it this way, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. This is a statement of faith. David is saying, I believe this God. He is who he says he is. And David then personalizes his relationship with the Lord. He says, he is my light. He is my salvation. He declares a personal relationship with God. And I want to tell you, friends, that we need to have a personal relationship with God. Coming to church does not necessarily give you a personal relationship with God. You have to appropriate God and make him yours and have this relationship and say he's mine. What he's declaring is not just something he knows but also believes and relates to. It's not a suggestion. When we are faced with darkness, we must remember that the Lord is our light. He brings clarity to the situation. In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. When we are faced with dark moments, we need to remember and remind ourselves of who God is and what his word says. Psalm 119, verse 130 says, the entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. We need to go back to the word of God, but we also need to listen to the Rema word of God, what he's saying to us at that time. So we have to listen both to the Logos word, and we also have to listen to the Rema word, what God is constantly saying to us. David also speaks to his feelings, having this knowledge of who God is and overrides how he feels. He does not deny his feelings, and we don't have to deny our feelings. They're part of us, and we've got to connect with them. But he recognizes that God is above his feelings and circumstances. He elevates God above his problems. To David, Jesus is not only the light of the world, but is his light. It means Jesus illuminates his every path where darkness abides. But he also says, God is my salvation, and he acknowledges that only God saves. And this can be understood both as an act of his saving grace when we become his children, but also as a present continuous act of salvation that no matter what we face, God will save us. So there is no need to fear. You see, our God is a God of both hills and valleys. Sometimes when we go to the mountaintop, we are sent to the mountaintop, we are so excited. But God is there on the mountaintop, but at the same time, he's also down in the valley, right where we are. God will meet us wherever we are, and I dare say he's also in between the mountain and the valley. I come from mountains. My home is in the mountains. And when you're in the valley, sometimes there is this big shadow that comes over you, so it's dark. But God is there. In that valley, God is there. You see, in 1 Kings 20, verse 28, when the Arameans attacked Israel, we read that thus says the Lord, 
because the Arameans have said the Lord is a God of the mountains, but is not a God of the valleys. Therefore, I will give all this great multitude into your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord of both the mountains, of the hills, and also of the valleys. Inspired by this verse, Christian singer Torren Wells puts it this way in his song, Hills and Valleys. And he says, no matter what I have, your grace is enough. No matter where I am, I'm standing in your love. On the mountains, I will bow my life to the one who set me there. In the valley, I will lift up my eyes to the one who sees me there. When I'm standing on the mountain, I didn't get there on my own. And when I'm walking through the valley, I know I am not alone. You're the God of the hills and valleys, and I am not alone. God is God everywhere. He's God of the hills. He's God of the valleys. David also teaches us a lesson in what I call blessed assurance. David was a soldier. He knew the art of war. He knew what it meant to be surrounded. Sometimes we go through seasons when we feel besieged by trouble on every side. You can imagine what the people in Kiev are feeling with their city surrounded. We don't have to be in cities. Sometimes we feel surrounded in our aloneness at home. We feel surrounded and overwhelmed by the situations around us. And we ask ourselves, how am I going to get out of this? But David says he is confident, not because he's a master of war, but because he knows God will fight for him. He says, though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though a war arise against me, yet I will be confident. David does not write off his circumstances, but he determines how to respond to them. You see, God is not intimidated by our circumstances. He knows everything we go through. I know sometimes we're so desperate, we say, God, can't you see what's happening? At a certain point when we were going through challenges here at the church, I know people were asking and we were all asking, God, what is going on? Can't you see? He's not taken by surprise. He knows everything that is happening. And he's in charge. The confidence of David is informed by his experience of the faithfulness of God. In Psalm 144, verse 1 to 2, where David actually, which David also wrote, he says, Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield, and he in whom I take refuge, who subdues peoples under me. So David had this, he said, God has a track record of helping me. God has been faithful to me. He's a faithful God. He's been my stronghold and my deliverer and my shield in whom I take refuge. He has a track record. We need to trust him. David is saying God fights for him and God fights for us. There are certain things that happen to us and we need to have what I call even though faith. This is a faith that does not deny or negate the facts around us but also does not take away the truth of God's word that we know. Facts are different sometimes from the truth. We need to hold on to the truth, even though things don't move, even though things don't change, even though the fig tree does not blossom, even though there be no cattle 
in the stalls, yet I will trust him. Even though you slay me, yet I will trust in you. We need to have this even though faith that persists when we're surrounded, when we're faced with hardship, when we're faced with darkness. There's a song that says, even if I am surrounded, I am surrounded by you. That God surrounds us, he protects us, he encamps around us, he creates a fence around us of protection, a hedge of protection for us. Another lesson of what we ought to do as we wait for the Lord is to assume a posture of worship. I like how the treasury of David says we should be postured. It says, wait at his door with prayer, wait at his foot with humility, wait at his table with service, and wait at his window with expectancy. Now we know that worship is more than music, but music is a great gateway to worship. In verse 6, David suggests that he will offer God a sacrifice of praise. It's a sacrifice because it costs him something. It's a sacrifice when you worship God, when you praise God, when you're in the midst of trouble and the situation around you does not kind of give its way to that kind of thing that you're doing. In Acts chapter chapter 16, verse 25 to 26, we read an interesting account of Paul and Silas. They were in jail. And of all the things they could do in prison, of all the things, and look, prison wasn't fancy in those days. I don't know how it is right now, but all I know it was stone cold. It was dark. There was no furnace there to put on the heat. And you were shackled in these metals. And so Paul and Silas find themselves in this situation. And it says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Who does that? At midnight? In prison? And the prisoners were listening to them. I even wonder, why weren't these prisoners sleeping? Maybe it was too cold like this morning. Well, the only thing I like about the cold is that I knew you wouldn't sleep through my sermon. (laughs) So it was cold and, you know, the prisoners were listening and then it says suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. This is what praise does. This is what praise does. That even if you're in the middle of a prison, surrounded by all these walls, the moment you start praising God, it will lose bonds of wickedness. It will lose bonds. It will give you breakthrough. It's such an oxymoron to start singing hymns to God in a prison at midnight. But this is what Paul and Silas did. And this is what David says we should do as we wait for the Lord. He says in verse 6, And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. See, the Bible says in Psalm 33 that shout for joy in the Lord. O you righteous, praise befits the upright. And someone says, praise looks good on you. That's another way to put this verse. Praise looks good on you. I have learned that all hell could be breaking loose around you, but when you encourage yourself with songs and hymns and make melodies to the Lord, strongholds are broken. To praise God while you wait is one of the best things you can do. I've told this church before that, you know, I like the morning commute while people dread the commute, 
uh, people, you know, say, oh my goodness, the commute, the commute. What's the commute? The commute is the best thing for me. I love it. I actually like the longer the commute, the better for me. Because it's that time, it's that space when I can really shout to the Lord and I can just act crazy in the car. And apart from the people on 66 who are looking through the side windows and wondering who I'm shouting at, it's really great to express myself and to sing and to bless God and to shout to the Lord and acknowledge how great he is. Not to self. That's what you should do as you're waiting in the commute. You could also wait in the commute complaining and grumpy and shouting at the people in front of you and those who keep crossing into your lane and you want to get ahead. But the better way is actually to just start praising the Lord. So I love my commute. So next, uh, next time you see me in a commute uh, and I'm shouting, just don't think what has happened to uh, a pastor, something has happened to him. I'm just praising the Lord. It reminds me of something that happened uh, in Uganda on June 3rd in 1886. June 3rd is a national public holiday in Uganda when we remember the Uganda martyrs. These were young men and women who refused to renounce their faith in the face of an evil king. And they were tied up and they were set ablaze. And I was talking to Mary and she told me that she actually went and visited the place where this was done. And they've built their churches. There are two churches there and there is a shrine. And now there's even a museum that kind of tries to capture what happened in that place. And so they got these young men and young women and they tied them up and they asked them to renounce their faith because they had just received faith and they, had, they were composing songs. The missionaries had just come. They had, they had, their eyes had been opened to the wonders of God's grace and they had given their lives to God. And as they put them into the fire and set them ablaze, they started singing this song that became their anthem. It's a song that was titled, Daily, Daily Singing His Praises. And they were singing as they were being burnt in the fire. When we praise, we bring God close to us because he'll always inhabit the praises of his people. God will meet us. He'll come and save us. It attracts us to him. It's his love language. God does not remove our circumstances. He doesn't remove our enemies, but he'll prepare a table for us in the presence of our enemies so that they can know how great God is. They can also witness and testify of the greatness of God. Finally, I want to highlight one more lesson. While we wait, we need to seek the face of God. We're so prone to seeking the hand of God, asking him for endless lists of what we want. If your prayer list has only things that you want, you need to check that prayer list. Because sometimes all we need to do is just go before God. Just imagine, God is your father. Can you imagine if your child came to you every day and all they did was say, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this, and after that they walked away. They don't even give you a chance to respond. But that's what we sometimes do. I fall in that trap many times. I have all these issues, especially when you're in trouble, when you're in darkness, it's all about you. God, I need this, I need you to do this. I need... We even sometimes threaten God, if you don't do this, we need to go to God and seek his face. 
Seeking the face of God means you dwell in his presence. It means being still. It means going to God and saying, I'm here for you, Lord. Have your way. Be magnified. Be glorified. Be big in my life. Open my eyes to the wonders of your grace. I want to see you. I want to know you. I want to experience you. I want to touch you. I want to see your face. Seeking God's face means gazing on the beauty and holiness of Jesus. It means that we, we just soak it in, soak him in, soak his presence in until we're lost in wonder, love, and praise. As I conclude, I want to speak to, specifically to someone who is here or watching online or someone who is out there and you're waiting on God for something, you're waiting for God to give you a breakthrough and maybe it's a physical breakthrough, maybe it's a spiritual breakthrough and it doesn't seem like to be happening and you're wondering where God is and whether God has forgotten you. I want to assure you that God has not forgotten you. The Bible says that your name is inscribed in the palm of his hand. He's constantly seeing you. He has not forgotten you. And we will have questions and we will have doubts and sometimes we will ask God, where are you when we face darkness? One of my favorite Christian artists, Lauren Daigo, in her song, Look Up Child, uh, is talking to the Lord and asking, where are you now when darkness seems to win? Where are you now when the world is crumbling? Where are you now when all I feel is doubt? Or where are you now when I can't figure it out? You're not threatened by the war. You're not shaken by the storm. I know you're in control. Even in our suffering, even when I, it can't be seen, I know you're in control. And I hear you say, look up, child. Look up. We need to look up to the Lord as we wait. The psalmist says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? We need to look up to the Lord. Our help will not come from the government. It will not come from the church, from our families alone. Our help ultimately comes from the Lord. While we are waiting, our faith increases. Our character is formed. And God works in us his will. He's never early. He's never late. He's always on time. He's always on time. I'm quoting from many songs, as you can imagine, because I listen to many of those songs. But one song that I want to end with is a song by John Waller that is quite, you know it, many of you may know it. It's a song that is titled, While I'm Waiting. And it summarizes for us what we should be doing while we wait. And it says, I'm waiting. I'm waiting on you, Lord, and I'm hopeful. I'm waiting on you, Lord, though it's painful, but patiently I will wait. And I will move ahead, bold and confident, taking every step in obedience. While I'm waiting, I will serve you. While I'm waiting, I will worship. While I'm waiting, I will not faint. I'll be running the race even while I wait. I'm waiting, I'm waiting on you, Lord, and I'm peaceful. I'm waiting on you, Lord, though it's not easy. No, but faithfully, I 
will wait. Yes, I will wait. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, that you're ever with us. Even when we don't see it, you're working your purpose out in us. Help us to wait for you without fainting. Help us to continue running our race even as we wait. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.